Amen. Thank you, ladies. What a beautiful song. And the message of that song is powerfully true, isn't it? Well, we have to re-examine, check up with the Lord after hearing that song. Who wants to go and work for me today? Well, I hope we'll consider that question as we go into Missions Week and very soon to hear from our missionaries, some of which have answered that call. They've said, here am I, Lord, send me. And uh, let's ask the Lord to help us to do that as well. That God might send us right here in our, in our Jerusalem, uh, that we might give the gospel and his word also. John chapter 3 this morning, if you'll grab your Bibles and let's open the word of God together. So the book of John, chapter 3, and in light of missions, and this month also, the love month, right? We're talking about the love of God, how we love the Lord and He loves us. Continuing on with that theme, we, we go to John chapter 3. This morning I'd like to read a few verses beginning in verse 16. So when you find your place, let's stand together, we'll have prayer And begin reading in verse 16. All right, let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we rejoice to be able to gather around your word. Lord, just to be able to listen, to hear the word of God, to believe and receive what you have for us. We pray you help us do that today. Thank you for the beautiful special, the reminder that we not only need to uh, hear the word of God, but we need to take it and share it with others. We need to serve the Lord We need to get busy to do what God has called us to do also. And we thank you for that today. We pray you'd bless the reading of your word this morning. We pray you'll help us to apply it to our hearts first and then share it with others as we have opportunity. And we pray you do your work in our lives and our hearts today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Wow, what a powerful passage. Because it's so familiar, I think sometimes we read it over quickly without letting that just impact us as it is. But the Bible tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. As we talk about love and Valentine's Month and all of that, we talk about loving God. Let us remember that first He loved us. And isn't that what John said as believers? He said to the other believers in his day, he said, we love him because he first loved us. Isn't that true? Let's think about it this morning. And I want to entitle the message just simply this, the love of God. Think about that, the love of God. Thank you, you may be seated. It is a great passage of scripture. It's a verse that we, that we all know well. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most well-known Bible verse in the world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the Bible says that God loves the world, but it says something interesting here. It says he so loved the world. I had an evangelist friend that used to like to say this, this quote. 
He liked to repeat the quote that says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Wow, let's think about that during missions conference. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And God so loved the world that he gave. We rejoice today as we gather together. Believers celebrating the Lord and and the new life that we have in Christ. But the only reason we're doing that is because he initiated this great salvation, this redemption that we talk about, that we celebrate. It's Jesus that we worship because of who he is and because of what he's done for us. As we think about love this month, let us remember that God is love. He initiated this love that causes us to love him in return. Oh, the love of God. Isn't it good? The songwriter wrote, the love of God uh, is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Think about that. That song, if you know it, he talks about could we with ink uh, or if the, if the ocean you know, were, were like ink and, and we had a quill and we, we were to write the love of God, we could never extinguish it all. The world couldn't contain the writings uh, about the, the love of God and how good it is and how, how much it is. God so loved the world. Let's look at a couple other verses. Turn with me to John, 1 John chapter 4. Notice what John said also about the love of God. John is, uh, this is a common theme in the writings of John, but in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says this, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was the replacement, the substitute. He was the sacrifice in our place that took away our sins. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Well, we'll find out why that's so interesting in a few moments. But this is the love of God. And then back to the book of John in chapter 15. In verse 13, the Bible says something else about love. It says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus called us friends. Verse 14, he said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. Jesus laid down his life for us. Think about that. Why? Because he loved us. This is real love. This is true love. God loves us. The love of God. When we come to the Bible and we understand the love of God, we find, first of all this morning, that the love of God is absolutely unexplainable in human understanding. The love of God is unexplainable in human understanding. We don't understand. We we find it hard for someone. We find it hard to love someone the way God loved us and loves us this morning. Let me show you what I mean. Um, Look at the way Paul tried to explain it. As we go to the book of Romans in chapter 5, Paul wanted to put this in human terms and relating the love of God in a way that maybe we could grasp a little bit better, maybe understand a little bit better how God loves us. In Romans chapter 5, look at the example, look at the illustration that Paul used to explain this in human understanding. Because the love of God goes beyond our understanding. Notice what the Bible says in Romans 5, verses 7 and 8. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. You see why the love of God is unexplainable in human terms? Because we can just barely, we can just rarely understand that someone would give their life for a good person. Our own history bears record of that on occasion. We call those people that do that heroes. They gave their life for another person. They're heroes. We, we, we hail them. We, we remember their names, right? We celebrate their actions of courage and bravery and love. And yet, look what Jesus Christ did. He didn't give himself for a good person. He didn't die uh, for someone, just someone in need, some, some innocent victim. No, no, no. Jesus gave himself for us. Look what the Bible says in verse 8. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that Christ died for sinners. Paul later said, of whom I am chief. You know, I think every sinner ought to feel that way. Everyone who comes to the cross and when we see in the mirror of the word of God how sinful, how wicked, how ungodly our sins really are, they, they put Jesus on the cross. Jesus didn't die for righteous men. Jesus died for the ungodly and for sinners, wicked men, you and me. Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Jesus didn't see us in our Sunday morning best and die for us that way. He saw us in our midweek worst, and he died for us that way. Jesus died for sinners. Now, I ask you, we, we, we hear that so smoothly. We've gotten used to hearing it, but let's stop for a moment and let's just evaluate, shall we? Can you imagine somebody going down to the local prison? Can you imagine somebody just saying, hey, warden, whoa, 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 time out, stop. Uh, this, this, this inmate on death row right here, this serial killer, uh, look, I'd like to, let me just take the chair for this, for this one. Can you imagine anybody doing that? Look, I'm going to take his place, he, let him go free, and, and you just execute me instead. Who would do that? Exactly. Nobody would do that. Because we would say, he deserves what he's getting. He deserves that penalty, that punishment. Guilty! Uh, <clears throat> hello? Boy, that was us. When we stood at the cross and met Jesus, we were that one. Guilty. And hey, I dare say this morning, if you've never seen yourself condemned, unjust, guilty before God, you can't be saved. You have to become guilty before you can be declared innocent. You have to be guilty before you can be forgiven. We have to know what we've been forgiven of. We've been saved by the grace of God. I'm going to tell you why this morning. Because Jesus died on an old rugged cross for us when we were sinful. We still are sinful. 
We're sinful creatures. That's why Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, right? He one day will give us the victory even over this flesh we live in, this carnal nature that we live with. Paul said, he's going to give me victory over that one day. Do we understand the vileness of men? Do we understand the vileness of sin? The ungodliness that God redeemed us from? What he saved us out of? Jesus the righteous gave himself for us who were unrighteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Hey, I'm telling you, in human understanding, that's incomprehensible. Who gives their self in the place of one who was guilty? Nobody does that. But Jesus did. This is the love of God. And it's unexplainable in human understanding. We don't get it because we have a hard time loving anybody who doesn't love us the way we love them. Not only were we guilty when Jesus loved us, but we were selfish when he loved us. We weren't thinking of him at all. We didn't love him at all. But he loved us. He loved us before we even knew about him. He gave himself for us. This is the epitome of unconditional, selfless love, the true love, the agape love that God has for us. And it's unexplainable in human understanding. Because without God, we don't love like this. We don't know this kind of love. But because of him, thank God, we can learn and we can begin to love him and love others the way he loved us. But not only that, the love of God is unexplainable. But number two, the love of God is unattainable by human effort. It is absolutely unattainable by human effort. It's amazing that those that understand the love of God, sometimes because they don't understand the scriptures and the plan of redemption that God created and the process of the redemption of sins, because of that, they go at it like Adam and Eve to cover their own sins, their own ungodliness. And they try to attain salvation by their own effort. But the Bible says it is not possible that we could obtain salvation through our own merit. Look at a few verses with me. Notice in the Bible, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 addresses this, this topic of our effort when it comes to salvation. In verse 5, the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Think about that. He saved us is what it says. You know, those that come to Christ for salvation not only have to realize their sinfulness, but they also have to recognize their surrender. You know, they have to get to a place where they just raise the white flag and say, okay, Lord, you're right. There's nothing good I can do to get myself to heaven. There's no way I could ever wash away my own sins. I couldn't do enough good in a lifetime to overcome the bad that I've done. Why is that true? Because good works don't erase bad ones. 
So we have to raise the white flag. We have to quit trying to do it ourselves. And we have to allow Jesus to save us by the work that he did on the cross. His blood becomes the payment, the covering, the cleansing agent for our sin. Like the songwriter said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, we have to get to the place where we rely only on him and what he did. The blood that he shed at Calvary, not by my effort, but by his. Titus 3 verse 5 says, he saved us. Friends, if you have salvation any other way than by him and him alone, you don't have Bible salvation. Salvation is when he saves you. You don't do any part of the work. Because the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. He saves us. Look at another. uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, the love of God is unattainable by human effort. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What is works? Something you do. And therefore, the Bible is declaring to us, the word of God says, salvation is not of works. It's not obtained by anything you can do. Why? Lest any man should boast. If we could do any, anything to get to heaven, you know what would happen? We'd get to heaven and we'd be saying, hey, let me tell you what I did to get here. So let me tell you. And we'd all have our own story and we'd want to brag and we'd want to boast and we'd want to say, this is what I did. This is how many times I did it, whatever. This is how good I did it. You know, that's why God just made the, the ground at the cross level. It's the same for everybody. You know, it doesn't matter what your talent, your ability is, because you can't do it anyway. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. And we would, if we could. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the believing on Christ. It's the work he did. And it's us receiving that by faith. His work saves us, not our own. Notice it says that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You know this is true. If anyone gave you a gift at Christmas time and you demanded to earn it or pay for it, what would happen to the giver? They would be offended. They paid the price for that gift, and now they freely offer it to you. And if you demanded to make some kind of payment, they would be hurt and offended that you did not receive their gift. And can I tell you this morning, it is the same with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not willing by faith alone to receive his gift without merit, without effort, without work, it is offensive to the one who gave himself and his all on the cross who provided and paved the way. He's already made the payment. And when you come behind trying to make your own payment, 
It's basically a rejection of his payment. And that's offensive. You can't be saved that way. You can only be saved through what Jesus Christ did for you. Now, there's a few reasons for this. But the main reason being that nothing you do could ever cleanse you of your own sin. So it has to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because his death on the cross is the only offering, the only thing that would satisfy the holiness and the righteousness of God the Father. The only thing that would truly put your sin debt to rest. It's the only payment that God can accept because he's holy. That is why, going back to Genesis, that is why God accepted Abel's offering bringing of the, of the lambs and the shedding of blood, which was a picture of what Christ would do. And he rejected Cain's offering, which was the, the best effort he had, the best of his fruits and his crops. Cain saw salvation as a, a process of works, and he said, Abel, being a shepherd, brings his best firstling of the flock. He said, so I will bring my best, the fruit of the ground, and I will offer it to God. And God said, no, Cain. This isn't about your work, your best, your effort. It's not about that. It's about the method that God has chosen. It's about the blood that illustrates redemption through Jesus Christ and the blood he will one day shed. The book of Hebrews tells us all through the Old Testament they shed those blood offerings and sacrifices, but the book of Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats never took away sin. Then what was it? It was the faith they demonstrated by participating in God's plan. It was the faith of surrender that said, not like Cain, but like Abel, that said, I surrender my effort, and I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to come acceptable the way that God outlined in his word. In order to seek salvation, I'm going to seek it God's way on his terms, not on my terms. No one has ever been saved that came on their terms. You have to come on his terms. And when you're willing to humble yourself and surrender and accept what Jesus Christ did, you can be saved. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's hard because we are proud creatures, and we like things our way. It's hard for us to let go and believe God. But that's what's required for salvation to take effect. The love of God is unexplainable. It's unattainable by human effort. Let's look at another verse, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Notice in verse 3. This passage is talking about how God is speaking to us in these last days by His Son in verse 2. So it's in referencing his son that verse 3 is written, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself 
purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's talking about Jesus. And in verse 3, it says that he purged our sins, how? By himself. Hey, guess what this morning? God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need your help to wash away your sins. He's already, he's got it. He's got this. He died on Calvary to pay for the deepest, darkest sin. It's all there. It's all, everything that's needed is there. It's done. And by the way, you could separate all the religions of the world in, in two major categories. Those who say you have to do and do and do in order to be saved versus those that say, done. Jesus Christ did it all. All you have to do is come to him and allow him to save you. You know, that requires a surrender. It, it, it requires you to, we, we talk about repentance. Hey, you know what? Repentance has been described by some as a change of mind. It's actually a change of the will. It's volitional change. That's what repentance is. And when you have change of the will, it affects the mind and it affects the heart and the hands, all of it. Right? It, the, the outward works is not repentance. Repentance is what happened on the inside that produced the outward change. That's real repentance. And real repentance is a, it starts with a change of mind, realizing that you're wrong, realizing that you're guilty, you're a sinner, without God, without hope. That's what helps us understand that we need him. Hey, we need Jesus. We need a Savior. Why? Because we're guilty. We're lost. We're condemned without Jesus. But another part of repentance is not just understanding you're lost and guilty, not just understanding you're a sinner, but another part of repentance is that you stop, stop believing, stop trusting, stop thinking that you can get yourself to heaven. You have to stop trusting you and you have to start trusting God. You stop making the effort to clean up and get right and be right. And you turn and look to Jesus by faith and you allow him to make you righteous. You know, that's what Paul talked about, the difference between him and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most religious sect there was in his day. But he said of them that they are going about ignorant of what God did. They're going about trying to establish their own righteousness. And Paul said, you know, I count all of that but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God by faith in Jesus Christ. He said, that's what I want. And everyone who's truly saved has to come to that place also where they surrender themselves and their effort. They stop trying to do it themselves. And they accept that Jesus Christ has already done it. Done. Amen? Salvation is unattainable by human effort. We're talking about the love of God. 
We're talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's unexplainable in human understanding that one would die for sinners. It's unattainable by human effort. We cannot save ourselves. When you hear all of this, you would think that the love of God, it ought to be irresistible. Certainly everyone who hears the message of Jesus Christ would receive it and believe it. Certainly everyone who hears the gospel would be saved by the grace of God. But they aren't. It ought to be irresistible to sinful men. But the sad truth this morning is, it isn't. There are many who are steeped in their own way of thinking. There are many who are so ingrained in their own doctrine that they cannot receive the gift of God. They're not willing to raise the flag of surrender. They're not willing to admit they're sinners. They're not willing to stop trusting in themselves and what they can do to receive what Jesus has already done for them. How sad. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 Romans chapter 3. The Bible says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Oh, this verse, these verses say so much, but they tell us that the redemption is in Christ Jesus. We have to receive that. It's through faith in his blood, not through faith in your works. It's not Jesus plus living a good life. It's not Jesus plus your baptism. It's not Jesus plus your church membership. Hey, I'm telling you what, Beckwith Baptist Church can't get you to heaven. You can go join every church in town. You can have your name on every church roll. That's not going to get you to heaven this morning. You can do good till the day you die. That's not going to get you to heaven because you've already done wrong and have sin. Good works don't erase bad ones. People have this idea that I'll stand before God one day and if the good, if it outweighs the bad, well, then I'll make it in. And I say, show me that in the Bible. The only time you find works compared like that is at the judgment seat of Christ. And my friend, that is the judgment of the saints, not of the lost. That's not to determine whether or not you go to heaven. If you're looking for that, then you better be sure you have the real thing. Or you'll never see that judgment. The evaluation of our, of our life's work. And did it amount to anything that is worthy of a reward? That's what that's all about. That doesn't determine whether you get to heaven or not. It determines the value of your life's work. What did you do for Jesus during this life? Romans chapter 10. Receiving Christ and being saved is so easy. God made it easy. He did it all. There's nothing left to do. All we have to do is believe on him and receive his name. We can be saved. God did it so that children could understand and be saved. God did it so that the weak, the, the, the uh, infirm, those that are handicapped or disabled, anyone can come to Jesus and be saved. And isn't it beautiful in the scriptures? Every time someone came to the Lord for salvation, how beautiful it was. 
Do you know that if you assign any work to salvation, by default, you're automatically going to eliminate many from the possibility of being saved? I've given the example before. I'll use it again this morning. If we, if we just said, in order to be saved, one thing you have to do is you have to come to church every Sunday. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Let's take a little survey. How many have ever missed a Sunday? Ooh, wait. Hey, that looks like everybody. Well, we're out. You see what I mean? Even the simplest requirement, even though it sounds so easy, it would be so hard. It would eliminate so many. No, God didn't put anything like that. No stipulations on salvation except that you had to come to him by faith. Resisting your own work and fully trusting in his. Oh, friends, if you can do that, then you can be saved by the grace of God. The truth is, anyone can do that. But not everyone will. It's so easy, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13, or should I say it's simple, not always easy, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Hey, there's no mention of any deeds here. There's nothing you have to do to be saved. You just have to believe on what he did. In verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, I like that, don't you? Shall be saved. I'm glad God's not a moody person. Well, I'll think about it. Huh? Aren't you glad you don't have to wonder what, what day was it that I called on him? Maybe, maybe he was in a good mood. Maybe, maybe he heard me. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he was willing. Maybe he wasn't. No, no, no. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just as definite. Amen? People say, well, I, I'll be there, Lord willing. Hey, the Lord is willing. It's you I'm worried about. In Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, there's the story of a rich man who came to the Lord Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to be saved? He said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you calling me good? Well, they got past that. And then he said, You've heard the commandments? He said, Yeah, 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 I've kept all those, all those from my youth up. Now that's pretty, hey. Hey, that's a pretty confident statement. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've kept all the commandments. Really? Jesus didn't even get bogged down on that because nobody keeps all the commandments. I said nobody keeps all the commandments. Nobody. Because James said if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. You, you can't keep all the commandments unless you keep all of the commandments. But he said, yeah, yeah, I've done that for my youth up. And Jesus he didn't, even, he didn't even get into all that. Sometimes debate is useless to people who think they know everything. So Jesus touched on the one thing that was most important according to the law and the commandments. What does the Bible say? Hear, O Israel, our Lord is one Lord. 
And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and all thy strength. So Jesus said, good, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And you shall have treasure in heaven. I would have jumped at the opportunity. That's all you got to do to have treasure in heaven? We can trade splinters for gold? Sign me up for that. By the way, you know, we're like him a lot. We put way too much value on our earthly things. All this stuff's going to burn up one day. And the Bible says when the rich young man heard Jesus say that, go sell all you have. He turned away from Jesus and went away sorrowful. Because the Bible says he had much possessions. Oh, isn't it a sad day when anything would come between you and salvation? I'm going to tell you all that the world has to offer isn't worth it. And he didn't even have that much. But what he had had such a hold on him that it came between him and Jesus. And instead of receiving salvation, he walked away sorrowful. That moment was so impacting that Jesus turned to the disciples and said, How hardly shall the rich enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were so impacted by that moment, they said, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, Well, this is impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. Yes, God is even able to penetrate our love for things in this world. Turn our heart toward him. Hallelujah. Maybe that young man got saved later on. I hope so. But it just goes to remind us that even though the love of God ought to be irresistible because it's so thorough and so freely given, it isn't. This man walked away. And I'm sure you've probably shared an invitation to church or maybe a gospel track or maybe you have compassionately explained the the plan of salvation to someone only to have them say, maybe one day I'll think about it. Not today. How sad when people walk away from the greatest thing they could ever have in this life and not even realize the value of what they're leaving behind. But the Bible says and teaches that we must choose. God created mankind in his own image. And we have a choice to make. Like it or not, what will you do with Jesus? That's the question. Look at 1 John chapter 5. Verse 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. I want you to understand that. Don't, Don't read it too fast. This life, eternal life, is in his son. It's not in your church membership. It is in his son. It's not in your baptism. It's not in your good life, the list of good deeds you've done. It's not in your badges and stripes and your list of merit. It's in his son. This is the record right here. That we have eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know 
that you have eternal life. Think about that. I was talking to a very sincere Catholic man one day. And I said, sir, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And he said, I don't know. I think so. I said, that's good. But you know, it's better to know so than to think so. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you have a place prepared? Is heaven your home? Do you know for sure when you die, you're going to meet him? Are you one of his? Do you know? And he said, I want to know. Can anybody know this? How can we know? And I said, sir, I can tell you're a, you're a thinking man, and I can tell this is very important to you, and I appreciate that. I said, you're asking the same question that Thomas asked. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I said, sir, the only way you can know for sure is if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've received him, then you can be sure heaven is your home. That's what Jesus said. And then we had to talk a little bit about what it means to receive Christ. Because he had always heard receiving Christ was taking communion. And I said, that's good. I pulled out my, my, my driver's license. And I said, okay. I said, sir. I said, this image, this person here, I said, who is this? He said, oh, that's you. I said, no, sir. That is not me. This is me. I said, that, that's only a picture of me. That's not me. I'm right here. And I said, you know what? When we receive communion... That is a picture of Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood. When you take that wafer, where does it go? Oh, I said, it goes in your stomach, and it's not there long. All of that is just a picture. I said, the Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus said, If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I said, all of that is just a picture of what God wants to do in your life. He wants to come and have fellowship with you. God wants to be involved in your life. He wants to dwell within, not in your stomach, but in your heart, in your life. I said, communion is a beautiful picture of that, but it's just a picture. Have you really received Jesus Christ in your heart? That's what matters. And if you'll open your heart and let Jesus come in, then you can have that wonderful fellowship he talked about. But you've got to choose. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It all boils down to that. It doesn't matter what you've done, and it really doesn't matter what you know. If you haven't received Jesus Christ, all that Bible knowledge from Acts chapter 8 on back didn't do Saul of Tarsus any good. 
But in Acts chapter 9, he met Jesus and everything changed. How about it today? Do you know my Jesus? Have you received the love of God? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? We all have a choice. And the choice this morning is what will you do with Jesus? And as you talk to others, that's, that's their choice also. What will you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Has there ever been a time that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? When we're talking to others, that's what we have to help them with. I talked to a young man who said, yeah, I, I, I think I did that when I got baptized. I said, no, baptism is separate. Baptism isn't receiving Christ. He said, well, I think I've always had Jesus. I've been to church all my life. I said, well, being in church is separate from receiving Christ. That's where you learn about Christ. But have you ever received Christ? Have you ever made a, a, a decision on purpose to receive what he did for you? I said, well, I guess not. I don't know. I said, well, how about doing it today? you've been to church all your life and you've been baptized and you, you know all about him, you, you know he's the one, you, you know you have to put your faith in him. Would you be willing to do that today? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes we just have to help people connect the dots right in front of them so they too can come to Jesus and have this life that we're talking about this morning, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How about it? Have you received Jesus? Will you help others receive him? I trust you will. Let's pray. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. How that we can truly be saved if we just are willing to humble ourselves, acknowledge our guilt before God, and simply believe and receive what Jesus did for us. Stop trying to do it ourselves and receive what he's already done. That's salvation. And Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you for providing eternal life that we all might be saved. In Jesus' name we pray.